There is a fifth dimension, beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. It lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Dimensions, a Twilight Zone podcast. I am your host, Bill Couch, and in this episode, we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 10, titled Judgment Night. Now, before we get into the episode, I feel I must do some housekeeping. Uh, I know it's been quite a while since my last episode, and I promise that's going to change. I uh, had a little bit of a family situation where I moved across country, and it took me a while to get settled into my new surroundings and get my house in order, and everything is now. So I will be putting out more episodes in a more frequent basis than I have been previously. I would also like to report that we have now reached over 1,100 downloads of the episodes of this podcast, and to that I am honestly blown away that anyone more than three people have listened to this thing, and I am forever grateful for anyone who decides to listen to me drone on for 30, 40, 50 minutes about a 60-year-old TV show that means so much to me. And I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. So thank you. And for that, we will actually have some listener feedback in the listener feedback section. So stay tuned. So on with the show. This episode was written by Rod Serling and directed by John Brom, produced by Buck Houghton. In the cast were Nehemiah Persoff, Deidre Owens, Patrick McNee, and Ben Wright. Music was by Bernard Herman. You can watch it on Hulu, CBS All Access. Or if you have the DVDs, the Blu-rays, any of that, you can also uh, watch it on Prime. It was first aired on December 4th, 1959. So, fair warning, spoilers ahead as always. So, if you haven't seen this episode, shut this off. Go take a, take a look at it and uh, turn this back on and, and see where we go from here. With that being said... Here is Will Lastly with the opening narration. Her name is the SS Queen of Glasgow. Her registry British. Gross tonnage 5,000. Age indeterminate. At this moment she's one day out of Liverpool. Her destination New York. Duly recorded on this ship's log is the sailing time, course to destination, weather conditions, temperature, longitude and latitude. But what is never recorded in a log is the fear that washes over a deck like fog and ocean spray. Fear like the throbbing strokes of engine pistons, each like a heartbeat.
parceling out every hour into breathless minutes of watching, waiting, and dreading. The year is 1942, and this particular ship has lost its convoy. It travels alone like an aged, blind thing groping through the unfriendly dark stalked by unseen periscopes of steel killers. Yes, the Queen of Glasgow is a frightened ship, and she carries with her the premonition of death. Thank you, Will, for the opening narration. Always a good job. That guy does always a good job. Alright, so the episode starts with a man standing on the deck of a ship called the SS Queen of Glasgow. Now, now we learn that it's on its way from London to New York in 1942, which, of course, is uh, fairly smack dab in the middle of uh, WW2. So, we learn that the man's name is Carl Lanzer, and that he is aboard this ship, and from laying first eyes on him, he seems like a very tense man, a very uh, serious man, I guess would be the, the good word to say about him. And when we first see him, he goes into the galley... Uh, to get some food, but we see him, and he always, uh, in the beginning, he always looked to me like he was disoriented, and as the episode goes on, we'll learn why. So he goes into the galley where there's a group of people that are also on this ship with him that are sitting down to a meal, or they have just finished a meal, and they're having coffee, and they invite Lancer to sit down with them. And they're all discussing um, the idea that they are in prime territory to be attacked by a wolf pack, which is a group of submarines that targets ships to destroy them, made up of German U-boats. Now, a little side note, um, if you ever find yourself in the city of Chicago and you're looking for something to do on a nice quiet afternoon visit the Museum of Science and Industry I believe they have the U505 which is an actual German U-boat that you can tour and it's quite interesting historically and it ties into this episode so I'm going to throw it in here you know uh, shout out to the good people at the museum that take care of the U-505. Great stuff. I've been there many a time as a child, and uh, it was always very fascinating. So, they're talking about the wolf pack, and Lancer almost automatically blurts out how a wolf pack would attack them, what munitions they would use, what uh, general form the entire attack would take, almost as if he's been on ten of them in his life. To which the captain of the ship um, says to Lancer, well, it seems like you, uh, you sound rather like a U-boat captain. This causes the uh, ever-so-tense Lancer 
to spill his coffee everywhere. And when a steward comes to help him, he stands up, clicks his heel to get heels together, and uh, is about two seconds away from from uh, saluting Hitler in the ever so present goose stepping Nazi salute that uh, was ever so prevalent at the time. So automatically, uh, we we kind of get the idea what Lancer is about, or at least what he was about. Uh, up until this point in time. We learn a little bit more about Lancer in the conversation where, you know, he was born in Frankfurt, Germany, so on and so forth. A little bit of exposition. Um, But he decides to head back to his cabin where um, he runs into a woman named... Mrs. Stanley, who was also on the ship. He chats with her a second um, about deja vu and how he really can't remember how he got on the ship. He says he feels like he's in a nightmare and that there's a U-boat stalking them. Which, deja vu, not knowing where you're at, stuff like that really seems to be a running theme throughout the Twilight Zone and is part of the reason why I love it because it lives in that sort of gray area where you don't know what's going on or what's happening and the characters don't know what's going on or what's happening until the final act and the final reveal and you get to see what it's all about. Part of what makes this show that's 60 years old so endearing and so captivating to even audiences of today he then has an exchange with the captain and the crew of the bridge where he gets even a little more manic and a little more on edge uh, to the point that you can almost see him flop sweating and starting to break due to the immense pressure that he feels upon himself And the captain even tells the crew, you know, hey, you should probably keep an eye on this guy. So the steward accompanies Lancer to his cabin, where in Lancer's cabin, the steward finds a German U-boat captain's hat, or just, I should say, a captain's hat, where uh, he starts to examine it when Lancer uh, snatches the cap, and we come to find out through a little bit of exposition looking at the cap that uh, he he notices his name the rank of Capitan Lieutenant of the Kriegsmarine on the inside of it which we kind of already knew but at the same time we didn't really understand and you didn't really expect the hat to be part of it so now the pieces are kind of starting to fall together And it's becoming quite clear that this man is either a spy who is going to destroy the ship or he is a man that somehow through magic mystery or any other happenstance has found his way into a situation that he shouldn't be in. So to steady his nerves, Lancer decides to go back down to the galley and have a little bit of a drink to calm himself down. 
It's at this point that he notices the clock on the wall and has a realization that that something will happen at 1.15 a.m. And as luck would have it, right when he notices this, uh, the engines of the freighter stall. And Lancer, in his inimitable form, uh, starts to come unglued, as any man who finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time through some sort of mysterical happenstance uh, would do. And at this time, wouldn't you know it, a U-boat is spotted by Lancer and he starts running around the ship telling everyone, hey, you know, danger, danger, stuff's happening, you know, there's a U-boat, it's going to get us, it's going to get us the whole nine yards, but he finds no one else on the ship. Can't find a soul on the ship, even though he's literally been talking to 20 people on and off in this entire time that we've seen him on this ship between crew and passengers. So after a frantic few minutes of searching the ship and finding no one, he pulls out a pair of binoculars and sees himself on the U-boat wearing the same hat that was in his cabin and talking to his crew, ordering them to shell the ship at their leisure. And the ship gets taken down by the U-boat, killing all on board. In the next scene, we are now on the U-boat, where Lancer is, in fact, the Capitan Lieutenant of the U-boat. And he is talking to a subordinate who questions the actions of Lancer and why he would kill this random ship who seemingly is doing no harm to anyone and is probably just full of, of innocent lives, innocent civilians. To which Lancer asks the the subordinate if he were a religious man or something of that nature and and uh, the subordinate said that uh, they would be damned for what they've done and that they will suffer as they've suffered and die as they've died and that they would ride the ghost of that ship for eternity and thus ends the episode with the final shot of seeing the SS Queen of Glasgow again with Mr. Lancer standing on the deck and staring out into the blackness as he was in the first scene of the episode. So it comes full circle that he will live as they lived and die as they died. And now, here's Will Lastly with the closing narration. The SS Queen of Glasgow, heading for New York, and the time is 1942. For one man, it is always 1942. And this man will ride the ghost of that ship every night for eternity. This is what is meant by paying the fiddler. This is the comeuppance awaiting every man when the ledger of his life is opened and examined, the tally made, 
and then the reward of the penalty paid. And in the case of Carl Lancer, former Capitan Lieutenant, Navy of the Third Reich, this is the penalty. This is the justice meted out. This is Judgment Night in the Twilight Zone. As always, thank you, Will, for that. Um, Will, lastly, everybody, follow him on social media. He's a good friend and an all-around talented guy. So this episode was directed by John Brom, who would go on to do 10 more episodes after this one, 12 in total. Um, And for a little more on him, go back and listen to episode 8, where I go into his life and his career a little more in detail. Now, Captain Carl Lancer was played by Nehemiah Persoff, who was born in 1919 and, surprisingly, is still alive to this day. He has 206 credits on his IMDb, and uh, starting his career in 1948 with The Naked City and ending his career with the 2003 miniseries Angels in America alongside Al Pacino and Meryl Streep, so even into the 2000s he was acting in good company. He was born in Jerusalem and came to America with his family in 1929. Throughout his career, due to his ability to morph into different dialects and play different ethnicities, he played everything from Eastern Europeans to even black characters due to his dark complexion and his curly hair and the fact that people were wildly more racist 60 to 70 years ago as they are now. Or maybe they weren't. It's not for me to say. But, you know, having a uh, Jerusalem-born actor playing a black guy seems like a bit of a stretch. But let's not get into that here about that. That's not for this. That's for an entirely different podcast, not this one. So we'll keep it out of it. He had a varied career, uh, starring in many old TV shows like Suspense, Craft Theater, and Gunsmoke. He also appeared in many movies, like On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando, Some Like It Hot with Tony Curtis and Marilyn Monroe, Twins with Danny DeVito, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, and was the voice of Papa in the American Tale movies with Fievel, if you are old enough to remember that. And if you are, welcome to being as old as I am. Um, He stepped back from acting in 1985 due to health reasons and started painting. His art can be seen exhibited up and down the California coast in different places. So he had a vast and wonderful career, and he came back in 2003 to act in the miniseries, so who knows? But wherever he is, I hope he's doing well, and I hope he's enjoying the time that he has left. Deidre Owens played Barbara Stanley. 
She was born in 1928 and passed away in 2010. She had only 18 credits on her IMDb page. She started with the Hallmark Hall of Fame in 1951 and ended with the TV show A World Apart in 1970. She was also in shows like Hazel, Dr. Kildare, and Thriller. Really not much else is known about her. I couldn't really find a whole lot about her. Um, so we will end her biography there. And Patrick McNee, who played the first officer, was born in London in 1922 and passed away in 2015. He had 62 credits on his IMDb page, most noted for playing John Steed in the television show The Avengers, which a lot of you or some of you or none of you might remember. Um, and then in later years, spent his days being the voice recording for audiobooks of various sorts. This episode had a relatively limited cast, so that will do it for the biographies. So let's move on to trivia for this episode. The first bit of trivia was uh, relatively obvious in the fact that Nehemiah Persoff was a Jewish person but played a Nazi, which, given the time this episode was made in 1959, you're literally talking 14 years after the end of the war, which um, a lot of people don't realize that that's a small amount of time, relatively speaking, when you're talking about such a huge world event like World War II. Um, so, I mean, a, a lot of wounds were still quite fresh at that point, and... Uh, this was this was rather interesting. At least it was interesting to me that they had a Jewish man actually playing a Nazi. I thought that was quite a, a interesting Twilight Zone twist in and of itself in a bit of trivia. Also notable about this episode was that the Queen of Glasgow was a British ship, uh, but everyone aboard drank coffee instead of tea. And this was because this was the first episode in which Rod Serling faced what would be his greatest enemy uh, in his life, which would be the censors on this program. Uh, he'd faced them before in previous uh, endeavors that he'd written, um, most notably the uh, Playhouse uh, 90, I believe it was Playhouse 90, that he wrote A Town is Turned to Dust, which um, ultimately in his beginning revolved around the Emmett Till case, uh, which if you've never read up on that, read about that, and then you'll get furiously angry at the world you live in, uh, or at least the world as it was previous. And the sponsors and the censors and the heads of the uh, companies that made the program cut it down and changed it and morphed it so much that it didn't even come close to re resembling the 
the piece of work that Mr. Serling put out. And we will discuss more about that in the episode Dust, uh, that which will be coming up in the future seasons. Um, so that's going to be a long one and a, a quite controversial one, so strap in when we get to that one. Um, but as far as it goes so far in this program, this was the first bit of censorship that Rod Serling had had actually come across. And it was over something as silly as coffee or tea. Because as we all know, and as if anyone who is an Anglophile realizes, uh, the British people love tea. I love tea. To be honest with you, I, I, I love tea. I drink hot tea any chance I get. It is wonderful. Uh, but in the script, they had to change a portion of the script where the captain orders tea to be brought up to the bridge. But they had to change it because General Foods, who made instant coffee, was a sponsor at the time. And so instead of drinking tea, they wanted everyone on board to drink coffee. And instead of the captain ordering tea be brought to the bridge, he had to substitute it for a tray being brought to the bridge. And there's an interview that Rod Serling did with Mike Wallace uh, in the 60s that is on YouTube. You can find it. Uh, it'll be about a half hour or so. Quite interesting interview, but he talks about this being the first time on the Twilight Zone that he ran into censorship of his of his material and obviously wouldn't be the last by any stretch of the imagination. And the last bit of trivia that I have is that the ship set that they used was from the 1959 movie The Wreck of the Mary Deer. So if you're a hardcore cinephile, you would recognize that if you're just an avid cinephile you may not have known that but now you do and you can tell your friends at parties and impress them with your ravenous knowledge of mid fit mid to late 50s uh movie trivia with uh goofs so we'll move on to goofs of the episode there weren't uh, much really to speak of uh lieutenant mueller's accent drifts in and out from one accent to another um, it's one of those things that if you're not really paying attention or really caring about the accent a person is using, you wouldn't really notice it. And in that vein, it doesn't really detract at all from the actual story. Um, the Queen of Glasgow was a British ship, but it had an American-made clock on it in the galley, which was pretty interesting. And the captain of... The ship had medals on his uniform that had not been issued during the war at this time. So, Nehemiah Persoff as Carl Lanzer was basically living a Groundhog Day existence while the captain was living a Back to the Future sort of existence. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. But, you know, let's be honest, back then... Um, you're staring at a 13-inch black-and-white screen, you're not really going to care if a medal on a chest of a captain of a ship 
is, you know, historically accurate. If you're a, you know, 15 year old boy watching a sci-fi television show in 1959, you're not really going to notice that or care. But people do now, and so I present it to you. So, let's move on to the likes and dislikes portion of the podcast. What did I like about this episode? Well, uh, Nehemiah Persoff's performance was basically the gorilla glue that held this entire thing together. Obviously, uh, there wasn't a lot for the other characters to do, um, but I feel like a lesser actor would have made this this episode just be a complete trash heap, almost. I mean, um, it's not one of my favorite episodes, I'll be honest with you. I've grown to love it over the years, but it took a long time, and it took a few watchings to, for me to finally appreciate Nehemiah Persoff's performance, as well as uh, the directing style and the way it was directed. Uh, it was directed well um, by John Brom with the with the material he had to work with and you know the the limited uh, scope of this episode with that being said um, let's be honest um, I like the idea of the set where it's just in one specific place the ship you know you're you're in the ship and that's that's what it is, you know. Um, so the set was really good. Um, good cinematography. And I like the story. I always love a good, uh, as you'd call it now, as I've called it, a good Groundhog Day sort of story where people live the same day over and over and over and over and over and over again. And we've seen it time and time again from Groundhog Day to um, recent movies. Uh, the one with Andy Samberg comes to mind. Uh, I can't recall it off the top of my head, but it's not germane to uh, this podcast, so we'll just uh, move on. But you know what I'm talking about. Different stories have used the same theme, um, and it works. It's a great theme, as long as you don't beat it to death. It's something you can pull out every 10, 15 years, do something different. And it's really it's really novel, and I've always liked it. For the dislikes of the, of the episode, um, it's not the best episode. You know, it's, it's not great. Um, it didn't really have a lot to work with. But, uh, like I said, over the years, I've come to enjoy it. I've come to really like it. And I've come to really appreciate it, especially for... Um, Nehemiah Persoff's performance. That being said, the supporting characters were basically furniture. I mean, I feel like you could almost have had mannequins sitting in their seat and you would have had basically the same effect. So, take it for what it's worth. I enjoyed it. Was it a great episode? No. Was it the worst episode of the entire series? Not by a, not by a long shot. Uh, we'll discover that when that, when that time comes. Um, but it wasn't a bad episode and I enjoyed it. Now on to the 
moral and philosophy of the episode. Um, I think mainly the 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 theme, the the focus that Serling was trying to put toward us was the idea that our deeds, our words, and our actions have consequences. You know, um, Captain Lancer spent his life dishing out pain and and fear and all that and he then had to spend eternity living in fear and living in pain and maybe even to a deeper philosophical point maybe even if we repent we still have to suffer the fate that we made for ourselves and we all have to pay our debts and I kind of like that the age old adage of you get what you give now if uh, this episode were to be remade today and Hollywood the entity came knocking at my door or ringing at my phone and said, Bill, who would you cast? If we were to make this episode today, who would you cast in the roles of the characters of this episode? And I would say, well, Hollywood, um, if you would have asked me three months ago when I did my research for this episode, who I would cast then, I think Carl Lancer should be played by Christoph Waltz. Mrs. Stanley should be played by Amelia Clark. First Officer McLeod should be Ewan McGregor. The captain, of course, putting a uh, huge actor in a small role, kind of like fat guy in a little coat. Uh, I would say the captain should be the one and only Michael Caine. And Lieutenant Mueller of the German U-boat should be played by James Franco. And then, not long ago, Norm MacDonald had to pass away. And almost part of me says, I would love to see if Norm could actually act enough to play Carl Lancer. I know it's weird and I know it's it's trite to say the man died and you want to put him in something, you know, and 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 all of that. Um but just as a side, uh I really did love Norm Macdonald. Uh I thought he was literally one of the best comedians if not top 3 that I've ever had the pleasure of seeing their work and you know what I think he might have could have pulled it off maybe if someone would have given him a chance he might have been able to do something like that but who knows and that time has passed and now with that let's move on to the listener feedback portion of the episode where as luck would have it I actually have some listener feedback so Austin Weber 
writes me, he says, hello, Bill. Hope you're doing well. Just started listening to the podcast. I'm two episodes in now and wanted to say that I've been enjoying the episodes. Well, thank you very much, uh, Austin. I do appreciate you listening and I hope you still are. I know it's been a while. He goes on to say that I like the detail and depth that you go into with each episode. Your review of episode 7, The Lonely, isn't out yet. Well, it is now. Uh, I just wanted to say that this was one of the first episodes I ever saw during one of the sci-fi marathons when they used to have marathons of the Twilight Zone on the Sci-Fi Network. And it hooked me for the rest of the night. I like the set. The acting is good. And even though there isn't a true Twilight Zone twist ending, it's still a gut punch to see the android get shot. It's a relative lesson about how connected we get to technology, especially today in the age of phones and internet. We look to technology more than ever to find companionship. Thanks again for your hard work. and Have a great week. Well, thank you, Austin, for your email. I, uh, I certainly do believe that uh, you have some really valid points. Uh, definitely uh, your correlation between people relying on technology as companionship in today's day and age is spot on. And I just want to say that it's, it's something I, I didn't even think of. And I, I always love when people point things out to me that I may have missed or may have overlooked or, or just a different perspective, a different way of looking at things. And that is outstanding, and I thank you very much for your feedback, and I hope you're doing well. Our second bit of listener feedback comes from a man named Scott Hirsch, who goes on to say, Hi Bill, I have two pieces of trivia for Denton on Doomsday, which, if you listened to the previous episodes, um, was the one about the gunslinger, former gunslinger who turned town drunk, who turned gunslinger again, and uh, it was a great episode, one of my favorites. Uh, he goes on to say, first, Jeannie Cooper, who played the uh, Miss Kitty character, if you remember, is the mother of Corbin Burnson of L.A. Law and later in his later years, uh, the TV show Psych, which I personally love. And second, the backstory of Denton being a gunslinger and becoming a drunk because he shot a kid was reused by Mel Brooks as the backstory of the Waco kid in the... Very, very, very funny movie, Blazing Saddles. He didn't say very, very, very funny in his email. I added that, so pardon me for the for the uh, latitude in that. Uh, he goes on to say, I love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much, Scott, and you keep up the good work and keep me in line should I miss something as important as that woman being Corbin Burnson's mother. Um... I don't know how I missed that, but thank you for pointing that out to me. Awesome little bit of trivia. And once again, uh, granted it's been many years since I've seen Blazing Saddles, but um, 
the correlation between the the same backstory being used uh, is pretty interesting, I think. The next bit of listener feedback I have comes from a man named Dan Mikulski. Uh I'm sorry if I'm butchering that, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, not the greatest with names sometimes. He says, goes on to say, uh, submitted for your approval. I recently found your podcast and have been working my way through your episodes and have found them to be quite enjoyable. I appreciate this perspective you bring and the format you have chosen. Additionally, your appreciation and respect for the Twilight Zone comes through in the way you talk about it, making for an engaging experience for the audience. Well, thank you very much, Dan, for that. Um, I try to do the best I can, and I hope that you can understand that the Twilight Zone holds a very special place uh, in my heart and, and in my life. Um, it was it was uh, one of my very first TV shows that I ever watched as a child, and have always held a very fond um, reverence for this TV show, and I love it. What can I say? That's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. And the last bit of listener feedback comes from a person named Raymond Sapinski. Once again, I hope I'm not butchering that. Um, So if you're out there listening, Ray, I I apologize if I said your name wrong. It meant no harm. He goes on to say, hello. I really enjoyed your podcast about the Twilight Zone. In fact, years ago, I wrote some short stories. I found you at iHeartRadio, and it seems you may have stopped making podcasts. I also like your segment choices. One of my favorite episodes was A Kind of Stopwatch, Season 5, Episode 4. Just know that your efforts are appreciated. Please do more. Well, as I discussed at the beginning of the episode, uh... I am back and will be back and will be putting out more episodes. So, Raymond, uh, stay tuned, fella, because we're about to we're about to get back into it, and hopefully, you and and everyone else who's listening uh, can definitely definitely enjoy themselves listening to me drone on and on and on about a sixty year old television show that I love so much. And I just want to say from, again, the bottom of my heart, thank you guys so much for tuning in, for listening, and for writing back. So, that being said, in next week's episode, And the Sky Was Opened, three astronauts go into space and come back, but did they really? Find out in the next episode. And as always, should you have any listener feedback, please email it to me at dimensionstcpodcast at gmail.com or carrier pigeon or however you want to do it. But the old clock on the wall, as Chuck Shaden used to say, is telling me it's time to go. Thank you everyone for listening. Have a pleasant evening, and we'll see you next time.